This is TSC Now, a podcast from the TSC Alliance. Hello and welcome to TSC Now. I'm your host, Dan Klein. Earlier this year, I had the opportunity to interview Tolu Alanyan, CEO of Pertola Global Health and Consulting Limited. The TSC Alliance had partnered with Pertola this year on their fourth edition of their Epilepsy Assessment and Management course, an online course for physicians in low and middle income countries to learn about epilepsy. This year's course included a specific lesson all about tuberous sclerosis complex and featured presenters Dr. Gadgill in India, Professor Anna Jansen from Belgium, and Professor Petrus de Vries from South Africa. Tolu shared with me why she started Pertola Global Health, what the mission of the organization is, and what are some of the unique challenges of closing the treatment gap for epilepsy in the developing world? Here's my conversation with Tolu. So I'm now joined by Tolu Alanyan, the CEO of Pertola Global Health and Consulting Limited. And Tolu, thank you so much for talking to me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Dan. What is the mission of Pertola? The mission of Pertola Global Health is to be able to create awareness and provide specialist knowledge about epilepsy and neurodisabilities and neurological conditions in low and middle income countries. So how did you first become interested in epilepsy? and specifically epilepsy awareness and treatment in low and middle income countries. I live in the United Kingdom at the moment and I was born in Nigeria. I grew up in Nigeria, migrated into the United Kingdom years ago with my family as a teenager and studying in the UK, became a nurse in the UK. Started working as any disability, intellectual disability nurse in the UK. And it was during my nursing degree and practicing that I realized that epilepsy is a big comorbidity, a common condition among people with intellectual disabilities and autism. And that in itself ignited this desire to know more about epilepsy. You know, I could have two, three people that I'm working with as a nurse, you know, providing nursing care to with epilepsy or different presentation. And that in itself made me to start to think about my birth country, Nigeria. And then I started thinking about people with the similar conditions back in my country. And I started wondering, you know, remembering things that I knew of, you know, I'd heard of epilepsy growing up you know, the myths around epilepsy. Remembered an incident when my parents, we were going, my dad was driving and we saw someone have an epileptic seizure in the middle of a major road. At that time, I didn't know what it was, but my mom told my dad to stop because my mom was a nurse and they helped this young man. And immediately, you know, he got up, he ran off. And it was when my parents got back into the car that I asked what that was about, that my mom told me he was having a seizure. And what struck me about that episode was the fact that my parents stopped, not because they knew we was on the road. They just stopped because there was someone having a seizure on the road and my mom being a nurse could support him. But when they got back into the car, my dad said, I know that young man. He was one of the students that my dad had taught because my dad was a teacher. So he was one of my dad's students. So imagine if my parents had not stopped to help him. 
be one runoff. So when I became a nurse, it was more or less like a flashback. I remember that episode and the myths around it growing up. It's a spiritual thing. If you're having a seizure, there's a lizard moving in your brain. So I started thinking, okay, this is not right. There's something wrong here. How can I help? How can I take this back to Nigeria and other countries? And then I started presenting at international conferences around autism. I presented at an African Congress in Kenya in 2019 around epilepsy. The feedback from parents that have got children with autism and intellectual disabilities was, we're struggling. We're finding it difficult to support our son and our daughter with epilepsy. We don't have the right medication. We don't have access to right care. And that just ignited this passion in me that I need to do more. I need to help. And then I became a trustee of a charity based in the UK, but provides medical access to people in Sierra Leone. And epilepsy was one of our big program, Mazo, that's Medical Assistance Sierra Leone is the name of the charity. So during my free time outside of working as a nurse, you know, supporting my family here in the UK, I'll get involved in research, in supporting charities around epilepsy. And that was when I thought, okay, I need to start something, a means to be able to do more globally. And that was when Pritola was born. Earlier this year, Pritola hosted their fourth edition of the Epilepsy Assessment and Management course. Who was this course targeted to and what were the goals of the course? So the course, what we call the Epilepsy Management course, EAMC, we have two versions of it. We have the clinician version targeted towards clinicians in lower middle income countries. So from my work in a couple of countries in Africa and the feedback I've gotten, you know, having contacts from other clinicians in other low middle income countries, even outside Africa, it dawned on me that, look, this need is huge. The need to access specialist knowledge is huge. And if we go back to the data, the statistics that we have, over 70% of people with epilepsy live in low middle income countries. It does make sense that we actually support the clinicians to be able to meet the needs of the people appropriately. And so the EAMC is targeted towards any clinician doctors, nurses, anyone, neurologist, pediatrician, anyone working with people with epilepsy in low and middle income country. And the aim is for them to be able to learn with their peers, basically connect on a platform this way and learn from your peers across the world. They can't afford to travel and we want to be able to equip them with the skills, the knowledge they need, the clinicians need to be able to provide optimum care. And that's what the EMC does, where they can join in from across the world, Afghanistan, Eastern, Bangladesh, Africa, other continents across the world, Ghana, Nigeria, Asia, and learn about epilepsy and, and connect with your peers networking as well. How many people participated in this year and from how many countries? So this year is the biggest one. You know, it was our biggest training. We had 494 clinicians from 54 countries across five continents joining. And the EMC is, is a three-month training. So they're joining in every two weeks on Saturdays. They're spending hours to, you know, meet clinicians, ask questions on topics they're struggling with and, you know, learning on how they can use the resources they've got to their utmost ability in their country. And how was it received? What sort of feedback did you get from the participants? The feedback has been mind-blowing. I'll probably say the feedback is the most rewarding 
been part of it for me as a clinician, hearing the feedback at the end of each day. And then at the end of the training itself, where you would get clinicians send you, you know, feedback as to thank you so much for this training. We never even heard about TSC, about cerebral sclerosis complex, because cerebral sclerosis complex was a topic we decided to take on as a specialist topic this year. And the feedback has been phenomenal. We actually received the feedback from a clinician from Malawi saying that after the TSC week, they actually met a patient with epilepsy in their clinic, but actually some of the symptoms were cerebral sclerosis complex related. And this was as a result of coming on the EAMC. So they were able to identify some of the symptoms and thought, okay, we need further testing and not just general epilepsy testing this time. Actually, we need more specialist testing and they were able to refer that person to get the appropriate assessment as much as they could get in their area. Those are some of the rewarding feedbacks we've received so far. That's incredible that from this training alone, someone was able to potentially identify an individual with TSC in their country. So as you mentioned, the course did have a day devoted to learning about tuberous sclerosis complex. It included Dr. Gadgil from India, Professor Janssen from Belgium and Dr. DeVries from South Africa. How did this come about? How did this partnership form? So the partnership formed actually through a mutual friend of ours named Tori Robinson. I work with her a lot and I was telling her that I want to introduce an extra bit to the EAMC that I wanted to start to introduce some specialists, more core specialist topics. And then she introduced me to TSE Alliance, um, Katie Smith and Ashley. And we had this conversation and the passion, the desire, we all had the same goal, which was let's train more people. Let's get the word out. How do we do that? And I saw that through TSE Alliance, I could actually achieve this aim because we know that TSE, tuberous sclerosis complex, is one of the most common causes of epilepsy, you know, and really it's important that people don't just see epilepsy as epilepsy. Sometimes there may be more stuff going on. That's one of our aim. You don't just treat the seizure there may be other things going on. So partnering with TSE Alliance was a perfect way of achieving that. We had Dr. Gadgil, Professor Yansin, and Professor DeVry on the training actually talking about TSE. Let's even break it down from the beginning. What is TSE? What are the symptoms you would find? And if you don't have the specialist equipment that you would probably find in the UK and in the US, in your country, what are the common symptoms that could point you to there's something else going on here. So having them come on on the training to provide that and also around neuropsychiatric side effects and that in itself was a mind-blowing topic. So the questions on the day, we had the three speakers on and we also had a panel session at the end where the three speakers joined in and answered questions from participants. It was interesting. It was beautiful. And at the end, it was definitely worth it being able to do that. So we achieved that aim and loads of feedback. I didn't even know that, the, you know, TSC was a thing. I'd never heard of TSC. Now I know what I need to watch out for and the need for multidisciplinary impact as to don't just think of the seizure alone and prescribe anti-seizure medication. Think of psychiatric comorbidities. Think of genetic causes of epilepsy, including TSE. A very good message to pass to the clinicians. The fact that they could even start to ask questions from the pediatric aspects as well. It was more or less like a love light bulb moment going on. 
like, oh, wow, I never knew. And I could have actually seen, you know, clinicians thinking, oh, actually, we could have probably seen someone with TSC without even knowing that was what we were seeing. And the fact that this would influence their practice going forward in their community, even with whatever minimal resources they've got. Knowledge is important. You need to have knowledge, you know, to be able to actually deploy the resources. You've got to the maximum ability that you can. So supporting them through being able to provide that training to them, it was all free. All they needed to do is to connect. That in itself was amazing. Following the completion of the course, is there any follow-up with participants or additional resources shared so that they continue to learn and, and stay engaged? Katie Smith shared some TSE resources and also resources where they can actually go back to ask more questions, the TSE Alliance contact information, because there are times they're seeing people with this condition and they don't know where to ask for help. So we're able to provide that information to them so that they can reach out. And we also encouraged them to start to think about developing support groups for families, because it's really important you get families together. It's important you give them a voice. It's important you listen to them. We encourage them that in your practice, in your area, start to bring together support groups of families and people with TSC in your communities to develop that network and have more of those conversations, which is definitely needed. The more we talk about it, the more we create awareness about it, the more we dispel the myths and cultural misunderstandings around these conditions. We need to talk more about it and hopefully we'll see more of that. So with regards to other trainings, we're still aiming to do more. We've only just started. We have a lot more ideas, reach out to more clinicians, reach out to more families and people with epilepsy and create more awareness about epilepsy and conditions like TSE. I think that idea of building support groups, building communities in their own country is so valuable. I mean, the TSE Alliance started as for moms who didn't have any other resources. And so they came together and created them. And that's how something starts. The more you talk about it, the more you actually realize there are more people having the same situation as you. A lot of times you can feel isolated in a community where you feel like they don't understand what's going on with you or your child. And in a community where there's this misunderstanding around these conditions and you're isolated, you're ostracized and you don't know where to turn to, having a support group helps. It empowers and you can start to develop ways through which we can go out to create more awareness and support each other, get resources, tailor the resources to the need of your community and your child, your community, your family. And that in itself is how we grow, really. Yeah. So on that subject of isolation and ostracization, what role does stigma play in terms of creating barriers in these low and middle income countries from families even seeking support? The role it plays is quite significant. And even though a lot of times it's underplayed in the sense that it's as if it's not going on, but it is quite significant where families are not able to actually reach out. They're not able to engage in things going on in their communities because they've been kind of ostracized in a way. And stigma is down to fear. I always say it. We fear what we do not understand, right? When we don't understand something, when we don't know what it is, we label it and we label it wrongly. And then we fear it because we've given it this thing that it is not. 
right? When there's this rhetoric going on that epilepsy is down to a lizard going on in your head, and then you start to give it this, you know, meaning that is not, it's something more powerful, more higher and spiritual, and it instills fear and it instills stigma because then no one wants to meet, you know, have anything to do with you, your family, your children in school, people, you know, a child may be having seizures and they run off, just like the example I gave that we witnessed as a family. So it creates barriers and stop people from actually going to seek help. And and also you would find like rich people, like people that actually have money and they, they have the resources, they can't seek the help because they're, they're scared of being labeled. So we need to create more awareness about these conditions. We need to talk about it. We need to actually go out there to, to tell them the truth of why people are having seizures and the real reasons behind it. So it's really important that we address those. I always say that it's almost impossible to bridge the treatment gap of epilepsy and, and, and other conditions in low middle income countries without addressing the stigma and the cultural myths around it. There's a lot out there that are not true, which people believe and you don't blame them because that's what they know, right? That's what they've heard. So why don't we go out there and address that by telling them, this is actually what it is. And you start to see as that stigma, those barriers start to break down. So it, it's important we do that. Families, those that want to seek help may be too scared to do so because of the stigma associated with the condition. Absolutely. And I think you're absolutely right. It's about, you know, raising awareness. It's about educating people. It's a, And it's about, you know, meeting them where they are, understanding where that stigma is coming from and addressing it head on and hopefully changing people's minds as much as we can. Mm -hmm. And engaging those are in place of authority to actually start to prioritize it. And also understanding that it's not just seizures, you know, mm -hmm. just don't just think, oh, let's give anti-seizure medication and that's it. No, there's a whole lot, psychiatric comorbidities, depression, anxiety, reproductive issues, women, you know, there's a whole lot that is around epilepsy and, and conditions like that. So it's important we start to look at people and treat people as a whole holistically. That way, we're actually supporting them right, rather than just fixating on one thing as well. So the work is huge. The need is huge. And so thinking beyond stigma, which in itself is a huge barrier, you've kind of alluded to some other challenges that low and middle income countries face in terms of access to medication. What are some other challenges that providers face and that families face in terms of getting care? I'll give an example of a situation that occurred that actually had Katie contacted, you know, she contacted me about of a family that got TSE or a child with TSE in a low middle income country and they could not access the medication. Right. And even when we I had to contact someone I knew in that country and back and forth trying to get this, the support, they did asking where can they get this medication? And then, oh, actually the medication is in tablet form. This child needs it in liquid form. How much does it cost? Can they afford it? If they can afford it now, can they afford it consistently? When a mother has to choose between putting 
bread on the table for their child or buying a medication that costs less than a pound or, you know, for their child. But that's all they've got. That one pound is probably what they've got for their meal for a week. So it's either I put food on the table for my family that includes this child with this condition or I spend the money on medication for just one child. That is a tough choice. And those are some of the decisions families are having to make. And then in some countries, you know, um, access to care is not free. It's quite expensive. When I went to Kenya in 2019, I met up with an organization there, a charity there. And the founder, Fred Kisaremos, told me that people live off $2, you know, per month. Now, out of that $2, they have, imagine if they need to go for an MRI scan, if the child needs to go for an MRI scan, go for specialist assessment. It's, it's almost impossible, you know. So those are some of the barriers as well. And then even if you can afford it, so let's say you can afford it, and then you end up taking the money you have to go to a specialist hospital and the clinician does not know what to watch for is not aware of the specialist assessment or is not knowledgeable, is not an expert in that field, they'll still miss the diagnosis. The, the child will be diagnosed wrong. The child or, or the individual will still not have access to the right care that they need. The situation is almost like a multifaceted you know, issue. You need to address it from different angles because it's not just one thing. And even when they have access to medication, some of them have access to medication to drugs that we don't use anymore. And a lot of those medications have severe side effects, which is probably why we don't use them in, in developed countries anymore. But those are the cheapest anti-seizure medication available to them because that's what they can afford. So you can imagine that's what they can afford. Now it's creating more negative impact on the individual, almost like spiraling into other things. What about counterfeit medications? Is that an issue in low and middle income countries? Yes, it is an issue. And some of it is down to poor regulation, you know, lack of regulation of medication being imported and made available. Research or study was done and published in the Global Epilepsy Report in 2019 by World Health Organization and the ILAE. And part of the study showed that some of the medication found in some countries in West Africa actually contained less than 2% of the active ingredient of the medication in there. So imagine if a family finally just, okay, let's get this medication. Let's buy the medication has been prescribed. We're buying the medication, but actually they do not know that the medication they're buying actually only contains 2% or less than 2% of the active ingredient in it. So that means they're actually buying the wrong medication. It can lead to worsening of seizures, reoccurrence of seizures, and they're thinking, okay, we've bought this medication, it's going wrong, we're experiencing worse side effects, but actually they've not bought the right medication, and they don't know that. And those are some of the issues, um, you know, people with, with epilepsy have to deal with in lower middle income countries. Families buy the wrong medication thinking they're getting the, the wrong thing. And that's because it's been falsified. It's counterfeit drugs and it's available right there, flooding the markets. 
for people to buy. And then you, you see why some families get frustrated. And if it's a family that they've had to make a decision as to should I feed my child um, or should I spend this money on medication and they've made the hard decision of using that money to buy that medication, they won't go back to it. They won't do it again. Issues in low and middle income countries, it's not just one thing. For example, lack of access to genetic testing as well. On the EAMC, we had Professor Shahida Musa from South Africa come and teach on genetic epilepsy, why we need genomics in Africa and in other low middle income countries, why it is important that children with epilepsy that defied treatment, why it's important that they actually have genetic testing to know why the cause of their epilepsy. And a lot of questions around that as well. But we know that genetic testing is not available in most countries. So we, we still we don't have answers to those families that they need answers. And she said something on our quote. She said, families in low and middle income countries deserve answers. And that's what we try to do provide support our clinicians so that they can provide answers to families and people with epilepsy and TSE and other conditions in lower middle income countries. I love that example that you provided because I think it really highlights how every step along the process of getting into a doctor's office, seeing the right specialist, getting the right diagnosis, getting prescribed the right medication. There are so many barriers to each and every step that just make it so much harder for people to get on the right path towards treatment. Yeah. And you wonder why people get fed up. You know, you wonder why, because they've not had the right you know, families have not been told the truth. They probably think, okay, if I give one medication, if I give this medication for one week, it will resolve the issue. And they know they can't afford it. You know, we know that, you know, this condition is a, a lifelong. And how can they afford it? Where? So they, they give up. A lot of them would just give up as to what am I going to do? And then they start to seek solutions in the wrong place. And then they get frustrated and then it impacts and the chain of impact, the chain impact on families, siblings, parents, loved ones can be quite devastating in lower middle income countries, which is why we've made it a mission to try to do our best to actually work towards addressing the awareness and treatment gaps of these conditions. So to that end, how do we start to close the treatment gaps in these countries? And what role does Pertola play in that? And what role does an organization like the TSC Alliance play in advocacy and helping raise awareness? How do we start is by getting up and doing something. Pretola was also born out of the fact that I felt like I was tired of talking. Okay, I'm just going to get up and do something, no matter how little I can do. Because at the end of the day, I'm a nurse. I'm not like the Elon Musk or the richest woman in this world that's got all the money. I'm only a nurse. But I realized I've got something, which is my knowledge, my passion. Let me get up and do something. So working together like this, partnering together with organizations like TSC Alliance, imagine we've trained 495 clinicians on this year, which we, last year we trained nearly 300 clinicians. Right. Imagine these clinicians will see about 10 to 20 people per week, if not more. 
with epilepsy and potentially TSC in their clinics. So you are supporting those clinicians in a way that gradually we're actually making a difference and also getting involved in conversations with the right people. So we're aiming to go to the ILA Congress in Dublin. Let's go meet with people there. Let's go have conversations. Let's go develop more partnership. Let's start to do something. So I'm more of a go-getter, probably because I'm, I'm just like, let's just get on with it and do it. You know, I haven't got any bureaucratic, whatever to, you know, let's just take away the barriers. Let's get on with supporting people. I think about my peers, my colleagues in low middle income countries, and I put myself in their shoes and I wonder how would I cope if I was a nurse in a rural place of Sierra Leone where there are only two neurologists in the whole country or in a country like Nigeria where there are less than 100 neurologists in the whole country of over 200 million people. So I put myself in the shoes of clinicians in Afghanistan. There are unrest going on in those countries, but there are people with epilepsy and potentially TSC there as well. How would I support them in Ukraine? You know, so that's how I think. And that's why I get up to do things. So I would say to start to address the treatment gap is kind of let's get up to do it. Let's partner. Let's do things like this. Let's start to have these conversations with the right people. Be passionate about it. Don't just talk it. Don't just say it. Actually do it and put our money where our mouth is really, which is why I'm so glad we were able to partner with TSC Alliance on this and also our partners, um, Roe Foundation as well, because it, it was more of a, a partnership with, between the three organizations to make the last EMC workout. If no, without that, it would have been almost impossible to achieve that. And think, look, look at what we did, you know, all just by me sitting in the UK, connecting with clinicians in 54 countries across five continents. And here we are making a difference in clinical practice in their countries. It's truly inspiring the work that you are doing. And, you know, we're so grateful for your partnership. I think you're right. It's about doing the work, whatever small amount you can do in terms of spreading awareness, spreading education and finding partners, because we're not the only organizations interested in helping people with epilepsy in low and middle income countries. And if we join together, our voices combined are stronger than our voices alone. Definitely. There's strength in numbers. There's strength. We can do so much when we work together, when we have a common goal, which is why, you know, having a chat with Katie Smith and Ashley at the beginning as to this is what we represent. And they shared the, the, the passion, the, the mission of TSE Alliance. I was like, perfect. This is, you know, a wonderful union. And it has just thinking about the impact in itself is quite rewarding for me as a nurse and as a person, a human being. The fact that we are supporting people, I can support a nurse, a clinician anywhere to what we're doing to actually provide better care and hereby improving the quality of care of someone else in their country is amazing. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story, sharing your passion, sharing the mission of Patola Global Health with me. And just thank you for the work you're doing. I 
look forward to continuing our partnership into the future. Thank you. Thank you to TSE Alliance for jumping on this and joining me on this journey. And I have learned, they've actually, the clinicians actually taught me a lot about TSE. So I have learned and it was wonderful. It's been wonderful working with TSE Alliance and hopefully may the partnership continue in the future. My thanks again to Tolu for sharing her story and for really inspiring us to take action. As she said, here in the US and all over the world, there are interrelated challenges to gaining access to medication and gaining knowledge about rare diseases like TSC. But the thing that we can do is take the first step, start forming partnerships, start having discussions, and start committing to making change in the world. I really enjoyed having the opportunity to learn from her, and I hope you did too. That'll do it for this episode. Thank you so much for listening to TSC Now. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to TSC Now. Our theme song is Take Charge by Young Presidents. Listen to all our episodes and subscribe to the podcast now at tscalliance.org slash tscnow. See you next time.